Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev, episode number 72. Chris, I realized recently I've been slouching in all of our podcast recordings. I'm going to stop that right now. Look at me if you're watching this on video. Um, it's so such good posture. It looks, looks so good. I, uh, I slouch all the time, and I've tried numerous ways to get myself to not slouch, and it works for a little bit, and then I go back to slouching. So I'm just going to have terrible posture forever. <laughs> That's so sad. I think I had a narrative in my head that you couldn't tell on the video that I was slouching. Cause it's the difference between if you're watching this on video, this and like, and like this. And I thought like, ah, you, it, I could be standing straight up. Who's to know that, but you can, you can tell. So I'm, I'm going to go like this. Probably also affect my voice and make me sound more confident. Chris, I have several things I would like to talk to you about this week, but first you released your buyer's guide. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a short one, but uh, it is a buyer's guide. Uh, this is, if you're following along, this is what April Dumford recommended at MicroConf. Um, and it is basically part of the point of the buyer's guide is to turn people away, actually. But it's really just to be really truthful about what you're good for and what you're not good for. Um, so I came up with three questions that were like the buyer can answer in their own terms. So not like... Uh, so the example she gave was about toilets. So not if you're buying a toilet, it's not flap flap versus flapless because buyers have no idea what that means. It is, does this get used a lot or not a lot, right? <clears throat> so I came up with three questions. Um, and yeah, I wrote those up and I wrote basically an article for each one. So if you answer yes, then to all three of them, then my thing I think is you know one of the best. Uh, if you answer no to any one of them, I have an article that talks about what you should use instead. So yeah, the hope is give buyers confidence that I actually, you know, that they actually can use my thing and also get some SEO traffic on the the guides. Um, and we will see how that goes. Yeah. I was so envious watching you do this of you were just in flow in doing marketing. Like this is the thing that I feel like developers, especially microcom side people struggle with of how do you do marketing? And you were doing marketing. I was watching you doing marketing and it looked a lot <laughs> like you still got to write text in an editor. It looked a lot like coding. Uh, it's just a lot more abstract. It, it was still sort of like the cerebral work of you have a whole bunch of abstract concepts and you have to somehow serialize them in a way that makes sense in, in a concise way. And the end result of it is you have this beautiful landing page that has really good. I don't, I don't know where you got this. It doesn't look like it came directly from um, Tailwind UI, but uh, I, I love the way you framed like the little box of the decision tree of the buyer's guide. And it has cool little icons of check marks and arrows and stuff. And uh, looks really good. The headlines are all really simple. You you thought through the actual text that you were writing well. Um, it, I, I think it's very clear. And it, it's three questions that are very easy to answer as a buyer of someone who would use this sort of thing. And uh, in interacting with you on this, I think I'm actually going to use this. I, in, a, in a podcast a few episodes ago, I was like, ah, I'm, I'm not really the sort of customer for this because I don't like Slack. But I, like the way you framed it and the way you're selling it, I, this makes sense for me. I would like to have live customer chat like this. This seems like a very easy way that I could trade time for more recurring revenue. And that's a problem I'd like to solve. And if that works well, I could see hiring that out. Maybe I have Rachel do more hours and, uh, or maybe just while she's online working for me, I have her answering this and have Slack installed and stuff. And yeah, quality, really good, good, good positioning. Uh, I understand now why people would buy your thing and i understand why people should not buy your thing i think that was a really good exercise cool yeah it was really good for me too because one of the things that i did in preparation for it was like i researched all well not all okay there's there are over 180 because i found a list of at least 180 uh, live chat like 
offerings um, and I researched about a hundred of them and I like went over what their major features are, what the price points were and all this stuff. Um, I, I only included maybe 20 or so in my related articles. A, a future post I want to write is like, I researched 125 live chat widgets, so you don't have to. I think yeah. I'm going to write that one. Um, that but yeah, so, Hacker News. That'd be really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was a great um, exercise just for me too, because I'm relatively new to the space. And so it was good to get a feel for like everything else that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Also, uh, yeah, like so in the three questions, the only one you answered no to was do you use Slack? Because you hate Slack. Um, mm-hmm. But then you thought about it more and maybe you want to use Slack for this. Uh, and so that is un- yeah. and also a side effect of the buyer's guide. Even if someone yeah. says no to a question, they can still sort of talk themselves into it if that particular thing is not a big deal um, in order to use the product. So Yeah, and I yeah, appreciate that cool. you were honest. Your thing is a thing for people to use Slack. And yeah, but and, and this is interesting because you were so honest of like, if you don't use Slack, this is not for you. Because you had such firm boundaries, I sort of questioned my own boundaries of like, do am I really not a person who uses Slack? I, I could use Slack, I guess. Uh, this guy sure seems to know what's going on, and uh, so he he probably has a very strong reason for having used Slack, and uh, this is a, a good solution to it. Yeah, it just it's all the things April done. Is it Dunford or Duniford? Uh, there's just one in Dun so. Dunford. Okay. Uh, oh, all I, the things April I, Dunford I was so. saying about. You're making me question <laughs> that now. Oh no, we should figure this out before we have a run. I think um, it's just one in. Okay. Uh, all, all the things uh, April was saying about how this uh, increases trust and authenticity. Like I, I totally get this. You, even even seeing you go through this process and even knowing that the things you did were pretty straightforward, you just Googled for different competing products and researched them. Like I now consider you an expert in this topic of live chat, which is like more than anyone else I know, you know more about live chat widgets than uh, anyone else. Like I'm, I'm inclined to trust you and, and your opinions on why you did this. And at the same time, like that then feeds back into the product. Like I, because you've spent so much time looking at all these other things, if you ever encountered, oh, this is a very important feature that not many things have, because you're making your own product, I would think, ah, oh, you would slurp that up and implement it in Acorn Chat. And uh, I think you mentioned that, that you, in the process of going through this, realized that there were some features that uh, reprioritized themselves in the product roadmap. Is that right? Yeah. So there's a few basic categories of these types of apps. And to compete with the category I'm sort of competing in, um, and I can explain that if you want me to, but the, uh, I need a few features that people are going to expect. And so, yeah, that, that, like basically by canvassing all of the available options um i have a few features that i definitely want to put in um and yeah and if i try to just build it without either talking to people or you know yeah category like canvassing all the other apps then i who knows what i've done some other feature list instead so yeah. yeah i tend to get caught in those traps of just i get an idea for a cool feature i'm like ah yeah. this is the thing to do and then i build yep. it and no one cares and I, then i feel demoralized and i'm like ah i'll work on something else so yeah i think this this gave you a very good framing of the overall market it, it improved your positioning you know who you are in the market now um you know when customers come to you when they're good for you and when they're not uh you, you can do that much more confidently um I, I mentioned at the beginning of this that i'm i feel envious of this because I think there's a lot of things that you did that I feel emotional pitfalls in doing. Like, I think the last time I tried to do something similar and I was Googling for things, I found a product that was like identical to mine. And 
it, it's the same stuff, same integrations, and like the the landing page even looked very similar. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of a generic landing page of like the headline and the subheadline on the left, and the product screenshot on the right on multiple devices. And I just felt like this gut wrenching, like, oh my god, what am what am I doing? Like all, all my work is <laughs> worthless and nothing. And uh, you know, what was I? I wasted so much time when this thing exists. And I think I don't even remember what that thing was, but I think in digging more into it, like there were some things that were different, and we, we were going after different target markets. So. It's, it's really encouraging to see you enter this space of a hundred and what, 190, 150? There's one article with 180. So there's 180. At least that many. 180 different apps. Like that's a, that's a crowded market. And yet you're going in confident because, and that, that makes sense to me. Like, I don't think you're being overly like cocky. Like this is a big space. This is a big problem. Most people aren't using any sort of live chat widget. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, you niche down, you figure out, okay, I'm, I'm looking for people who are about this size or use Slack, uh, who don't already have a, a help desk software that they love that already has this thing built in. That's who I'm targeting. That is such important work. <laughs> like, it's so well-defined that I, 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 I would like to do this and it's less scary having seen you go through and do it. Um, so thank you. And I look forward to you helping me <laughs> through the same process. Yeah. Um, and this is like this whole exercise, I designed it, the whole exercise of building this, I designed it to be exactly that. Like I knew where I was weak and that was in the same ways that you were like seeing someone doing almost exactly the same thing and feeling bad about what I've built. So yeah. I purposefully designed this like whole thing as I'm building something that I know has been implemented a ton of times before. Mm. And that's okay. I'm not directly copying anyone. I'm just entering a very crowded space and mine is going to be different because I'm different, right? Like, mm. um, and I'm going to do things differently. And yeah, so there's like 180, right? on that list at least half of them are this one type of category which is basically customer service software first that happens to have live chat mm. and so those are like a totally different category i'm not really competing against those and then like maybe half of them don't use slack i wanted it in slack of those maybe half of them don't like respond to do not disturb in the way i wanted to and so like pretty quickly i'm down to like you know i don't know four or five that yeah. are actual real competitors to my thing um and still mine is different because for example like my email address is plastered all over the page so people know mm. they can email the founder of the thing um which is like a huge advantage uh like like providing good customer support can be your differentiating feature right mm. um so yeah, like I basically designed this whole exercise to get me better at the things I was bad at, which is everything you just talked about. So yeah, I think it's working. I, I, I also, I will say I felt uncomfortable doing the marketing work also, which is good. I think it mm. was pushing me in a way that, uh, to make me more comfortable doing it. So yeah, so far so good. Uh, although still not in the Slack app store, I've had no correspondence from them. So oh. we will see. That's yeah. the worst. I'm uh I'm I'm proud of you. That's good, and I think it'll only get easier. And you're better at this than I am, so uh, <laughs> uh you need to be good enough at least to be able to help me through it. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're gonna we're gonna figure out this marketing thing together. Um, I'm, I was reminded in talking about the binary decisions of like cutting it in half of, you know, half of them are integrating with help desk software. I had this conversation with my dad at a grocery store once. We were in, I think it was the salad dressing aisle. And he was like, look at all these salad dressing. Who needs this? Who needs this much salad dressing? He's from New York. Uh, and I looked at the salad dressing and like, to me, there were four salad dressings that I could have on this huge wall of salad dressings. And 
he was like, look at this. There's there's 500 salad dressings. And there were. There were 500 different salad dressings on this wall and all different kinds. But I was like, well, look, I have a dietary restriction of that I can't have dairy. So take all the ones with dairy and knock them out. It's like half of them. And then I also have a dietary preference for not having oils that are easily oxidized, which is like uh, corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil. Uh, there's more. Uh, so I'm looking for something based in olive oil or avocado oil uh, or maybe coconut oil, but that's that. I've never seen a salad dressing with coconut oil. Um, and so just those first two questions, I'm knocked down to like six. And then within those six, like I don't like two of them. So yeah. I've got four. Uh, so yes, there's this huge wall of 500 salad dressings. But for me, with my decision tree and, and who I am, the product positioning of those four salad dressings is for me. So based on this whole wall of this very complicated choice, I've got these two choices and boom, now it's knocked down to four. And I imagine for someone like him who doesn't really care about salad dressing, he's just like, ah, just get a salad dressing. Uh, <laughs> check that off the list. I got it. Uh, yeah, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like there's too many. But I bet if you pushed him on like, well, what sorts of salad dressing do you like? Or like, do you have any higher level philosophies of, uh, you know, maybe you care much more about like uh, shelf stability that, that you care that, you know, you buy the one salad dressing and you can keep it in your parents' house. And then when you come back next year, it's still going to be there. Uh, and it's still going to be usable. Very different decision criteria than the one I'm operating under. I would much rather have something that, you know, perishes really quickly, but but meets my criteria. So, yeah, this it, it's it's starting to it's starting to really sink in and gel with me of like marketing is good. Marketing is helping people. And the better you are at marketing, the better you are at helping people, which is the same reason I write software. So, uh, yeah, this is I, I feel like through this exercise, uh, we're becoming better entrepreneurs, better able to help people with stuff that we built and that feels good cool yeah that is the goal so we will see how that exercise plays out in you know six months we'll see i'm excited uh you are also studying for a machine learning test uh i know this is very like high level esoteric <laughs> mathy <laughs> bayesian theorem stuff uh is there anything interesting or cool in that that uh you can translate for us lay people uh so this i took this class knowing it was going to be very theory and math heavy and knowing that I don't necessarily like theory and math stuff as much as the practical stuff. And I can reaffirm that I don't like the theory and math stuff as much as the practical <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, I've, uh, it, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what much to say other than it is, it is all stuff I could use if I wanted to, but probably won't ever need to touch again. And so it's mm. very, it makes it very difficult to study for. Like, it is good to know, like the reason I'm forcing myself to take this class is it's good to know all these terms. It's good to know where mm. they come from. Like, so that, and the whole point is when I see them in a paper, I can sort of understand where the paper is coming from and hopefully like understand the bigger implementation picture, which is the yeah. reason I'm doing this. But it's really hard in the middle of it because <laughs> I don't really like it. So yeah. So I, I want the result uh, and, and don't like the, the work that goes into it, which sounds like a lot of things in life. So it's <laughs> good to do. Good to do. Yeah. Man, if I could do that with marketing, that's a sign me That's up. right. Uh, I'm uh, reminded but, of, yeah. uh, this is this is the way that I describe my computer science undergraduate degree because uh, people come to me and they're like, ah, I want to get into software and have software businesses and wouldn't that be cool? I should major in computer science. And consistently my advice is like, it's... It, it's academically interesting, but you don't really need it. Like you, you could yeah. just learn JavaScript from a thing online and you would learn enough to be able to make these apps. The benefit that I got from my undergraduate degree was nothing in a computer is magic anymore. 
I, I never use the stuff that I was doing practically in undergrad. Like I, I haven't written a line of assembly, uh, except there's a, there's a game for iOS called uh, the human resource machine where it's like, you're writing assembly to it's really cool. You're writing assembly to links all these puzzles. That's the only time I've ever used assembly. Uh, but, and then other things like, you know, digital logic and building circuits and like, here's how you can combine and and or gates to make a NAND gate. And, um, you can build these gates to make an adder and then you can use this other series of gates to make memory. And then you combine those two and you make a little computer with a CPU and, uh, and then we build all the way up to, oh my gosh, we can run assembly. Amazing. And oh my gosh, we're going to go one step further than that. We can write a compiler so that we can write C, which goes to assembly, which runs on these, uh, you know, the, the basic machine, which runs on these circuits, which runs on these basic end gates, which are running on transistors. And you know, the stack all the way down, all the way down to electrons. It's not magic anymore. I haven't done any of that. Like I haven't even written <laughs> C code. Like yeah. I'm, I'm so far removed from that. But every once in a while, it's useful to know like, ah, this is a weird bug or like this thing is running slowly. In what direction would I move to be able to make it faster? And I can reach down and be like, oh, well, you know, this loop is running in this way and that, that would be slow. I can't think of a specific example, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's useful. It's it's nice to know that it's not magic. So I, I totally get it. Uh, and at the same time, I sort of question... Well, do I question that? I agree that it's useful. And I think depending on your goal, like if you wanted to just, if you wanted to get as high as possible in AI competitions, I don't know that this would be the most useful way to spend your time to raise your rank higher in it. Probably a very good long-term play. Like you 10 years from now, having done the master's degree versus not, I think you 10 years from now is, is going to have a much easier time with these AI concepts and uh, a lot fewer things that you're tripping up on of just like, ah, I don't, I don't know how this entire category of thing works, so I'll just skip over it. Um, being able to reach down and have deep roots in this, I think, helps you much better over the long term. But maybe that's the thing. It's like, it's, this is a good long-term thing to do. So like, of course, it's going to be painful in the short term and you're going to have to learn math that, that you don't like. I think that's the way I'm framing it. Does that sit well? Yep. Yeah, I generally agree with that. Um, if I wanted to, it, if I spent all the time I'm doing on my master's on AI competitions, I would mm -hmm. undoubtedly be better in the next, you know, two years or whatever it's going to take uh, than not. Uh, the two big caveats there are if I spent the same amount of time, which mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't, I'd probably, you know, goof off on YouTube or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is forcing me to do it. Um, and then, yeah, I, I see this as a 10-year yeah, play for me to understand it better, even if I don't use it at all. Like, the SAS may take off and I may not use my master's at all. Um, but I bet I will. Right. And even if that does happen, like, um, I'm okay with that. So like, that, that's what I, you know, knew going into it. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Good. Good long-term play doing marketing, doing, man, you're <laughs> very healthy career wise. Here. Uh, making lots of long-term plays, doing lots of marketing. Uh, it's good. Good job. At a boy. Uh, I have three <laughs> categories of things. It's a deep callback. A deep callback. We should. I never actually connected that to OpenAI. I should. I should do that. Um, because I've gotten the OpenAI access since that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. Three categories of things I'd like to talk about. Uh, file inbox updates, errands, and a new contracting job, which I alluded to last week. So let's go one at a time. Uh, right. file inbox. I just had a really solid week. I, I, like, I didn't wake up super excited about anything in particular. Uh, I didn't do anything particularly groundbreaking, but I just like 
woke up and did the work and file inbox is better today than it was in the last episode. I uh, fixed a bunch of bugs. I had this really weird one where I have, I have a, a segment of the app where it's a bunch of different form fields and you can drag them to change the order of them. And the bug that was happening was when you change the order, <coughs> excuse me, when you change the order, it would duplicate the one that you would drug. So if you have like mm. a text field and then an email field below it, if you drag the email field to be in position one, now you have two email fields. And I was like, how the heck is that? <laughs> What's going on? And I, I had to dig all the way down to the library that I wrote to interface with uh, Firebase because of the way I was making updates and because I was storing those fields as an array because I, I, now I don't have to include like an order thing. I can just change the order of things in an array. Firebase and my library have a way that you can like push updates without including the entire object. You can just mm -hmm. say, I would just like to change this one field. And because, because the field of the array of fields was an array, I was pushing the array. And then the library was saying like, ah, you're trying to update this array. Clearly we should merge everything at that index of the array. That took like two days to figure out what was going on, <laughs> but it's fixed and it's nice. Uh, also did some appearance improvements. And I wrote, I wrote a blog engine. <laughs> it's in this application. Of now. course, this is like the thing you're course. not supposed to do. Tyler Twinkle uh -huh. had a tweet recently saying you're not supposed to do this. Uh, but I wrote a blog engine, and it's it's great and it's beautiful, and it's based on the stuff that I did for uh, the MicroConf recap. And it renders server side, and it has all the metadata, and it's it, I have my own little way to edit it uh, online with uh, Markdown, and it's flexible enough that I could make it entirely static in the future. It's just, it's it's a very nice uh, blog engine. And uh, that's how I pushed forward File Inbox this week. Any thoughts on that slow, consistent development progress? Yeah. Keeping I mean, me from doing marketing. <laughs> well, sure, yeah, but you're doing the work too, right? Like, that's all work. <laughs> so, yeah, and it all made sense. Um, also, I think Tyler Tringus has a post saying you're not supposed to do that, but also has a post saying don't don't require like a git push in order to push new uh articles yes um and so you've checked that box off anyway so now yes. you can you, you wrote your own blog engine but now you don't have to do a git push to push articles um which i still have to do i think i mentioned this last time my chrisdeshard.com uh domain i still have mm. to do git pushes to do articles and i can't mm. build the thing that's on there right now because of some weird node version error <laughs> <laughs> and so i can't update my site <laughs> so that's a problem um so maybe I'll write my own blog engine to uh, do it. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I'll use Hugo, I think. Uh, but yes, that's, that makes so much more sense. There's a few weird things that I get to do. Like the thing that we love to do, of, you know, we want to do this one weird thing. So we end up rewriting the entire system. There's a few weird things that I do within the blog engine. Like I have this custom CSS class that makes it look like a screenshot is in a browser window. And that's something that would be really difficult to do if I mm. was doing it with any sort of other uh, browser engine. Uh, would be much easier if I just started with another browser engine and then like figured out how to add a plugin or whatever to do that. But I don't, th this is what I needed to do. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I did. Uh, also for things in the future though, of like, I would love to be able to support comments. This is something that bugs the heck out of me. If I'm logged into the application and I go to the marketing site on a blog post and there's a comment section, I don't want to have to log into the comment section again. I want my account to be the same account everywhere. And to do that is really hard because you do have to do what I'm doing. You have, you have to rewrite your blog engine and have it in here. And then I'd have to implement a whole comment section. <laughs> I'm probably going to do that. Um, yeah. So I just, I like having control of it. I, I'm, I'm a product guy. I like building software. I like if I have an idea of like a cool thing I'd like to do of integrating comments and ah, maybe the person has a badge for how many files they've received. Like that's a thing I could do. And that feels really good. Yeah. Um, 
And the reason it all works is because you're a solo developer. Uh, the reason that people like the reason that you have to log in twice on a lot of sites is because there's a marketing team and there's a development team mm -hmm. and the marketing team runs, you know, WordPress or something and the development team runs custom code. And it's actually really good practice to separate those because then the marketing team doesn't have to, you know, rely on the development team for changes or whatever. Um, and so there is this, you know, slight penalty that comments on posts are different than your, your other, uh, account, but it's much better for those kind of teams. Uh, for you, you don't have that distinction and so you can do whatever you want yeah cool thank you for your information um yeah that that is what i want and <laughs> i agree that from a business perspective probably makes a lot more sense just to keep the team separate and then neither you know that the marketing team is not excuse me held back by the uh the development team um yeah yeah i'm doing i'm doing it the way i want to do it that feels good uh Next section, I did a whole bunch of errands this week. <laughs> I did, I just, no one, normally I wouldn't do this, but I did so many that, that I just want to have its own little section. Uh, I made, I started making a list of like all the things I did. And uh, by the end of it, I was like, wow, that, that was a lot. Um, I picked up a engine top end, uh, which was cool. I pulled up in my Tesla to this like engine shop that remachined uh, engine top end for my dad, uh, which involved like, remachining it to tolerances I, I didn't fully understand what happened uh i do, painted do you mean my like a bookshelf say it again <coughs> do you mean like a big piece of steel that goes on top of the cylinders of an engine is that what you yes mean? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay uh i think it's aluminum i think oh, the top okay. end is aluminum uh but yeah and then it has like a little manifold that goes between them and oh, yeah interesting yeah okay. I, had, I drove around with that in my trunk for a little while <laughs> i played games with people over guess what's in my trunk and no one got it um <laughs> <laughs> Just pulled up to the side of the road. <laughs> Seeing a pedestrian. Just ask random hey. people. Guess what's in my truck? <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, um, that'd be a cool game show. Uh, that's a. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I painted on an IKEA bookshelf. I dropped off a bunch of stuff at Half Price Books and Salvation Army. Boxes and boxes of stuff. Um, I did a bunch of weeding so I can get my deposit back on this house that I'm running with my sister and brother-in-law. Uh, I picked up my eczema cream subscription, uh, pres pres prescription, uh, although I suppose I could have a subscription to a prescription, um, which is something I've been wanting to do for the last 10 years, and I have it, and it works really well. Uh, I open-sourced the script that we use for this podcast to push episodes from YouTube to Transistor, which is something... I've needed to do for months uh, and it's finally done. So now when you push an episode, you don't have to wait for me to push it. <laughs> you can do the both, both things at the same time. Uh, so if anyone has a podcast on Transistor and YouTube, uh, this is a thing you could use. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, I transitioned the bedroom at Sarah's condo to use the smart light system that I've been working on and it doesn't work very well, <laughs> but it's going to. There's, all right it crashes every day and hmm. i have to log into the server and restart stuff and it's it's not good yet but it, it will be uh and i'm modeling the uh engagement ring that i'm going to use to propose to sarah and i'm doing that in open scad and uh it's cool you can like write code to model the thing in 3d and uh i have all the stuff i need for it except i also need a microwave and otherwise i, I think i have everything i need so that's a that's a fun project I'm, that uh, is 
very cool and big news and i hope she yeah. doesn't listen to this podcast otherwise spoiler alert <laughs> i was i was trying to keep it a secret and then it came up in therapy that oh, she was okay. like and he's taking too long to propose and i was like oh well actually we're, we're actively working on that and i guess i should tell you about that because it's causing you more stress than uh if you didn't know so she she knows and uh, I, I suppose the person who writes their own blog engine is also the kind of person who <laughs> makes their own engagement <laughs> ring is that because i can Accurate. do weird things with it right like i can cast all the all the rings at the same time and that's kind of cool and yeah it's um uh, so interesting too oh man i could i could talk all about lost wax casting uh i may have already on this podcast i don't remember but i think I you have told, my own little you told me about it i think you told okay. me about it but not the yeah quick update then making stuff out of metal is really really cool you make the thing out of something that can melt so you want to make a ring you got to make the ring out of wax usually in bygone eras you would sculpt it with your hands today in 2022 you can get a resin 3d printer that's one of those printers that like you, you pour a bunch of goo and then it cures it with uv light and then it, it raises out of the bed and then and then you have it you can get a special type of resin that's meltable that's like a wax based um and you want something that's going to burn off very cleanly that's not going to leave ash or, or anything else so you, you get the thing that you want out of something that can melt like a wax then you put that in a little coffee can and you take some plaster and you degas the plaster, so you need a vacuum chamber to be able to mix the plaster and then degas it. And then you pour that plaster on top of the coffee can that has the thing that you want inside of it. And then you take that and you degas it. And then you wait for that to set. So now you have your coffee can full of plaster with the wax thing in the middle. Now you take that and you put it in a really hot oven or, as I found out, you can put it in a microwave if you have just the right <laughs> sort of setup. Uh, it has to like be surrounded by the right sort of thing. You get it really hot. The wax now all melts away. Now you have the plaster mold of the negative of the thing that you want to make out of metal. Now you melt your metal, which you can also do apparently in the microwave. That's the kit I got. Huh. <laughs> yeah, right? It, and it's weird. It's like this it, It's this metal shell that's made of steel, I think, which melts at a much higher temperature. And then you put the metal in that, and then that whole thing is encased in this plastery thing. And then you put all that in the microwave, and it gets really hot, and, and the metal melts. Um, and you can melt copper or gold or silver. Uh, it's really cool. So you, you put that in the microwave, you melt it, you get these special gloves and these special tongs and you take the metal out and then you pour that into the plaster mold while you're suctioning the bottom of the mold so that there's no air bubbles. It's like mm. pulling out all the air and then pulling the metal into all the different cavities. So then you have the thing in metal, but it's in plaster. Now, you, after the metal's cooled, you take that whole plaster thing, which is very hot, and you dunk it in water, which is going to be a temperature shock to the plaster, and then the plaster breaks apart and then you have the thing that you want in metal. So... It's, it's called a lost wax casting because you lose the casting after you break it apart in the water. And the original casting was done in wax. Uh, and then you have the thing in metal. And that's how metal things are made. And I just think that's so cool. And instead of like buying a ring, I wanted to buy the ability to make anything out of metal. So I have that now. <laughs> uh, anything I can 3D print now can that's smaller than a coffee can. Uh, Oh, not a coffee can, a soup can, like, a, like one mm. of the smaller cans. I don't know why yeah. I've been saying coffee can. Um, I, I can now make it out of metal. So that's a, yeah, that's that's what we're doing. And that is a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, I recommend a fire extinguisher, but other than that, it sounds really cool. <laughs> Good idea. I actually, I actually, <laughs> actually hadn't thought of that. I, I did well, have the thought I should okay. do this outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would also do it outside, but with a fire extinguisher. Fire extinguisher is a good idea. Yes. Okay, good. I'll add that to... I need to pick up a microwave cell <laughs> from like a Salvation Army, and I need to uh, get a fire extinguisher. Good. I'll do that. Um, cool. Cool. That's that's all I have for errands. Uh, that's cool. Um, 
yeah you, you can the the same process i've seen done on uh, like various youtube channels but uh larger with sand instead of plaster and then yes the hotter metals and um or different types of metals and stuff so yeah it's a it's a really neat process also very involved so be very interested to see how it turns out yeah i'll be making a youtube video about it uh yeah the sand is it's the same sort of concept but you do it in sand and that's that's for things that are much bigger if you want to do like swords yeah. or things um yeah, that's what this is for like tiny jewelry or things that are like a lot of a lot of really fine detail um if you if you think of anything you'd like that's smaller than a soup can made out of uh, any kind of metal that, that i can't buy for super cheap <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good point <laughs> if there's anything you would want custom that would awesome. make sense All right. yeah uh yes anyway um cool last thing i have a new contracting job the job with with uh trig went so well and when i calculated my hourly rate i was thinking it would be like ah i spent way more time than i thought on this this is going to be like 30 dollars an hour or something ended up being 180 dollars an hour so i was like great i, I would totally do this again and when I, I talked about this briefly last week, but when uh, it came up in conversation with my friend Brian, that a type of app that he would like is something to be able to follow your face, similar to Apple's center stage feature, where the camera's capturing this whole big wide range of video, uh, but it crops and pans within that big video to have your face be bigger in, in the, in the uh, final video. Brian needs this because he produces conferences where people record their videos and their head is moving side to side and he has an angle where it's their screen and then their face tiny in the corner. So if they're moving side to side, now their face gets lost and now he has to do all these manual edits. And I was talking to him about this of like, is this a valuable thing for you? Because this seems like a really tiny cosmetic thing. And he was like, yes, this is very valuable for me because this is a better product. Uh, a lot of the automated editing stuff you're doing is really cool, but like I can just hire an editor, but like this is a this is a thing that's really difficult for a human editor to do because how tedious is that of like you gotta move and pan it and add keyframes and it just takes a bunch of time. And he does this all the time. He does this, you know, for, for twelve videos every three to six months. Um so if he had a tool that would do this, that would increase the quality of all of his videos indefinitely into the future and he knows he's gonna continue doing this. So it was something that was valuable for him. Uh, and I, I was having the conversation with him about like price and like, yeah, I, I experimented with doing these contracting things with Trig and uh, that worked out pretty well. And uh, I chatted with him about it and he was like, uh, yeah, you know, it, is this worth $5,000 to me? Yeah. Is it worth $10,000 to me? Uh, that's where it starts getting kind of kind of painful. So how about $7,500? And I was like, wow, that's that's <laughs> like three times more than I was thinking. Uh, but yeah, that is that is that valuable to you. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I asked him if he would pay uh, $6,969.69. Of course. And he, he said... <laughs> He said, "You're a weird, you're a real weird guy, Ace." Uh, but yeah, that sounds great. That's like much. This thing is much more valuable than that to me. So uh, yeah, do it. So a lot of this last week was spent on this fun project of figuring out how to render video in a way that follows the face. And I got to do some of the machine learning stuff that you've been teaching me from that uh, the the book that you recommended on TensorFlow. Uh, so that got me the data of per frame. Here is the position of the face, and then from that data. I was able to make a custom FFmpeg filter that says, based on what frame you're at, move the camera to this position. Uh, and that's basically it. And it was really hard to get there. Like there's a lot of plumbing and scaffolding and like, uh, I'm doing it all on the front end in the browser, which is kind of cool. I'm using uh, a 
ffmpeg.wasm, which is like a, it's compiled for the front end to be able to, to run ffmpeg in the browser. So like there's, it, it's more serverless than serverless. It's, it's uh, <laughs> the things are happening on the client, which is really cool. Yeah. So I'm not going to have to pay for any serverless jobs, but uh, yeah, it's, I've spent so far nine hours and 30 minutes on it. And I've been able to run it all the way through to generate the output data and the output data looks good, but it's not quite like coherent in a nice little package. So I probably have like three hours to go. So if you call it 13 hours total, uh, if I spend 13 hours on this thing and get paid $6,969 and 69 cents, that is $536 an hour. Now we're not done yet. There's a lot more potential things that could go wrong, but like that feels great. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like the most I've ever made per hour that I could reasonably measure. Uh, and it's got me thinking about like, should I just be doing more of this? Or <laughs> sh like, there's an argument to be made that actually I'm making a much higher hourly rate on file inbox. Um, but I just don't see that money as soon. Uh, how, I guess generally, what are your thoughts on this consulting job and balancing it with file inbox? Yeah, a bunch of thoughts. Uh, first is, um, <clears throat> that's great, but yeah, you're not done yet. And you have a tendency to uh, uh, underestimate hours. <laughs> so I sure just, do. Just warning you. Um, uh, the, the other is about like support, right? So something will probably break or have a bug or something. So you have to support this later and that's sort yeah. of included in the cost. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, uh, so yeah, fixed price consulting gigs can be great. Um, they can also be awful. And so if you do enough of yeah. these, you will at least hit a few awful ones. And so part of the part of the deal is like, some some gigs are better for you and some better for the the other person um f you know at an hourly rate anyway and then it kind of works out if you do enough of them so this seems like a particularly good one but uh you're not done yet and uh you could also just as easily have you know hit some hit some wall and had to spend 40 hours on it or something so yeah um yeah uh, the, the other thing, I think I told you the, the story of the consultant and the screwdriver. There's a classic consultant tale, which is a uh, company has a machine broken and they call a, a consultant in to fix it. And he says, that'll be $10,000. And they say, okay. And he goes and he takes a screwdriver and turns one screw and the machine starts working again. And they said, <laughs> why did that, that only took a minute. Why did, why does it cost $10,000? And he says, well, it's a dollar to turn the screw, but it's $9,999 to know which screw to turn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so that, that's consulting. Um, that's fixed fixed rate consulting. That story is fantastic and and helps me reframe that like being able to do this is not just the time that I'm spending on it. It's also the dozens and dozens of hours that I spent figuring out how FFmpeg works. And yep, figuring out how this machine learning stuff works and like I have this specific use case now of, you know, I need to take this piece of machine learning and plug it into this piece of FFmpeg and boom, now this thing is done. But like to be able to get to that point where I understood how those two pieces worked and how I could plug them together. So many unpaid hours of like understanding uh, how that worked. So yeah, I, I think I think previous versions of me would have felt kind of guilty of s charging that much, but it's worth that much to him. And like, there's not another place where he could get this for cheaper. And I can say that, like I looked, I, I couldn't find anything else that did this. Um, so yeah, I I, th I think it has me thinking more about like, if there are other places where I've already done a lot of investing in an esoteric valuable skill set, I think I would like to open myself up to more, uh, more places where I can turn a screw for $10,000. That I know how this machine works. I'm, I'm thinking about like, 
do I post something on Upwork or Fiverr or like start looking for jobs that are in this sort of video automated production space? Because I can solve problems in this really easily now. Um, how would you be thinking about that? So that's interesting. When, when you first posted or posed this to me as like you, you were gonna make a SaaS out of this or something. And I said something like, well, it'd be great if it was an API because I think a lot of people who find this valuable have like a hundred videos. They want this done to all of them. And yeah. it'd be good to be an, an API. Uh, you and I were both talking to someone at MicroConf who did something sort of similar but completely different uh, about making videos. And one of the things that he did at the beginning was actually, I think, make a Fiverr account that was mostly automated. So for like a yeah. hundred bucks, they would send the video. He would use his tool, which he mostly had automated. It took like two clicks and send it back. And then he'd make like a hundred bucks. And so instead of a SaaS, you could try to see what the market you know, would pay and what the demand is by, yeah, making a Fiverr something account fixed price, you know, like a dollar per minute of video. Yeah. I will make it so it follows your face. And then all you have to do, I mean, you, the hardest part is you probably have to watch the output to make sure that it's a, it's good output. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and like semi-automate it. And, and that would, that would do a lot of the work towards telling you what the market demand is without actually building the SAS. I like that a lot. That's also something that I could just set Rachel up with of like, it you know check this Fiverr account for jobs mm. if you get a job find the video they're going to send you the video in weird ways but you know you're a human so you can you can figure out there might be a dropbox link it might be something else download the video upload it to this uh make three different versions of it with different parameters upload it to this send this templated email back to them saying is this what you'd like um yeah that's <laughs> and that's that's such a low barrier to entry right because like i don't need to figure out billing i don't need to figure out i don't need to polish this up as a SaaS. i just need something that rachel can use and i just need a fiber account that has a profile that has some example videos of, of what the input and output is yeah interesting okay and the then i could potentially see if there's a, if there's a lot of things like this if there's if there's uh i would be really curious what the what the demand side of this is of is there a specific type of edit that i could easily automate that right now people are doing by hand, uh, similar to the person we talked about at Microconf. They were doing uh, generations of these like 3D phones flipping around with your app on it in the middle. Um, if if there's another category of thing like that, um, that'd be fun to like Mechanical Turk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Semi-automate, uh, like have a SaaS, but the front end of the, of the SaaS is this very human consulting uh, thing. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah, the, the other thing this gives you, like say you do 20 of these, um, it gives you 20 video examples and yeah. it tells you, like you can see what they are. Are they all conference videos? Are they all people talking into the camera? Are they like whatever they are? Yeah, and that gives yeah. you, that's like voice of the customer research for if you do build a SaaS, you can be like, you know, here are the three most common use cases and here's how my product solves them, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a neat idea. Cool. Cool. Okay, I'm going to be chewing on that. Um, I think I think this week I'd like to make a profile with that because that's a yeah that that seems trivially easy to do. Um, yeah, I mean it should take. It's pretty easy to just make a profile and post something, and if no if no one does it, then that's fine. Yeah, if someone yeah. does, then that's cool too. At the, the worst case, I burned you know ten minutes. Yeah. Um, and the technical side of it is something I'm already getting handsomely paid for. <laughs> I cleared with Brian, also I asked him, you know is it okay with you if I resell this? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. more people should have access to this. I just need it really badly. Um, yeah, cool. I wanted to mention one other thing in this, which is like everything that I build like this 
my capacity to build other stuff just gets so much better. And I have two specific examples of, uh, there's these two complicated technologies I'm using in this job, FFmpeg and uh, TensorFlow, specifically a, a TensorFlow library called BlazeFace, which recognizes where a face is in a video. And the first version I built was just this huge spaghetti code proof of concept just to see like, is this possible? Can I do this in a browser? And I could. And the work I did today that we co-worked on, uh, it was very nice having you there, was taking all of that spaghetti code and modular modularizing? Modularizing. That's a word, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, modularizing it uh, into hooks. So now I have, instead of this huge spaghetti code, I have a hook called use FFmpeg and I have a hook called use blazeface. And because of the way I'm building these things in React and, and with hooks, now I have these building blocks of like any project I do in the future where I need to render stuff on the front end with FFmpeg, I just have this thing that I can slot in and uh, boom, done. I've, I have FFmpeg now. I don't need to go through all the, you know, 10 hours of work I, I did to get to this point. Uh, I can just start using it. Same with Blazeface. If ever in the future, I need to be able to use not just a face recognizing thing, but like any TensorFlow library in the front end, I have this hook I can use of like, boom, here we go. Here's this custom thing. I get to start exactly where I was. And I feel like as my software career has progressed, I've gotten much better at doing that sort of modularization. Modularization. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that. And, and that's where the true power is. That's like, if I can just take all these building blocks and put them together, that's then put me in this position where I can just take my screwdriver and turn it. And then I've made this machine magically work. Um, it, it feels like I'm able to work very effectively as a developer because I'm I'm saving a lot of breadcrumbs and, and having the work that I did in these modular pieces so I can reuse it. And that feels good. Yep. Yeah. And that's exactly, yeah. When fixed rate consulting does great because you can kind of put building blocks together that you know how to do and it's valuable for someone else and so you can get paid a lot um yeah it's also if you turn this into a sort of developer focused api product those would be great blog uh articles to write because yeah it'd be like here's how i did it it took 20 hours you can just use the api yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that i'd like fixed rate also because it's very honest it's it's aligning the incentives of me and the buyer brian and me would both like this to be done as quickly as possible but if he's paying me hourly I kind of want it to take as long as possible because um, that's how I'm going to get more money. Yeah. So yeah, pa past versions of me would have felt really weird about this and current me feels great. And like, this is a, you know, we're, we're both making the world better and it's a, it's a valuable trade on both ends. And uh, I'd, I'd be so happy to, to do this again. And uh, I think you would too. Yeah. Yeah. When, so when consulting, I found it useful to fix something. So fixed, uh, rate is is helpful but in, if you go hourly or monthly or weekly or whatever then um fixed like you know i will like open-ended on scope but fixed hours per month for example so like mm. i always did like 20 hours a week but i did monthly contracts but mm. it was and then it was open-ended so i was like i was part of their dev team you know half time basically mm -hmm. um so yeah if, if you fix something then that's useful if you open-end too many things that's where you get into trouble yeah that's a good framing if it's if it's more longitudinal work if it's like months of work as opposed to this very closed uh clearly defined project of this is the input and this is the output yeah i could, I could see how fixing the scope would be difficult so fixing the time well i guess that's what a that's like what a salary job is right you're, you're yeah. working for yep. you're contracted for 40 hours a week yeah cool cool having had the experience of seeing my work valued at 536 dollars and uh 13 cents an hour i think my framing of how much i would want from a hourly consulting gig would be much higher than it would have been before um 
I yeah. can be that effective at work. I can deliver that amount of value in that amount of time. Yeah. That's funny that I'm going more into products now and you might be going more into consulting now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Swap, swapping there. Uh, yeah, I have, if I calculate an hourly rate, I think I've made more than that, but I've also made negative dollars. <laughs> so just be careful. Yeah, it, it all works out. Uh, and, you know, that's that's including a lot of unpaid work. Like, I'm sure if I... Right. Yeah, it's... The other work that was fun. It, like, I was learning about FFmpeg and I enjoyed that. And, uh, so it's, it's hard for me to count that as billable hours because you know i could have been playing video games and instead i was learning about ffmpeg uh <laughs> making cool like automated podcast tools uh cool chris we're uh 13 minutes short of what our usual podcast episode is but that's all i got that's all i got too i gotta go study for my machine learning test some more oh boy Enjoy. i gotta go weeding and finishing this contract job all right i will see you next week all right goodbye bye